So we are in a new series. We're starting a series called We Are. This is the very first week. And essentially what we're doing is we're looking at the values of our church, who we are, why we do what we do, and why we think what we do is important. Why does it matter? And i got to be honest with you. Um, typically, I, I kind of I push back against series like these a lot of times because I, have a, I personally have a great distaste for when churches get so busy promoting themselves that they forget to promote, like, the things of Jesus. So I normally I'm like, I don't like when, like, that's the big thing from, like, churches. So, but what I realized as, as I was talking through the staff with all about all this is that when we changed the name to the foundry, like, two, over two years ago now, we, we redid our values. And we redid our values, and they're all based on something that Jesus said. They're all based on this one particular phrase that Jesus said that I believe leads us to a place where, like our vision is, a better you and a better world. And so as I was thinking, I was like, oh no, this isn't just church propaganda, like just, you know, because we got to keep the building going and we're going to do a building project and we want, you know, like all this money. No, no. We wrote these in a particular way because of something that Jesus said, which I believe actually leads to a better version of ourselves and a better world to live in. So then I was like, oh yeah, that's why we did that. This is actually going to be really cool. <laughs> so it's going to be cool. For the next couple of weeks as we lead up to Easter, we're going to be talking about these values, but it's not just church propaganda values. It's like values because it actually speaks to the life and the teachings of Jesus and like provides a better, deeper, richer way to live. At least I think. At least I think. So what is this phrase? What, are this, what is the thing that we've based everything, all these we are statements off of, our values? We've, we've based it all off of something Jesus said in John 10, 10. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life. <clears throat> the thief comes to steal and destroy. I come that, you, that they may have life and have it to the full. Right? Now, to me, this is a beautiful statement. This is an incredible statement that should actually inform how we think through and understand like the rest of everything else. There's two words in this passage that I think... Uh, we need to look at to help us understand this a little bit better. That is the word life and the word full. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus shows up, he tells this little parable, and then he says, I've come, the reason I'm here is so that you can have life and have it to the full. So in the Greek text, there are two words that are, that are used for life, okay? That is the word bios and the word zoe. Bios is how the body works, the, the study of biology, right? We study biology. It's the functionality of life, how things work, how our bodies work, how the planet works, how animals interact, whatever. We study biology, how, the functionality of life. There's also this word zoe. Zoe in the Greek means life as well, but it doesn't refer to the functionality of life, like this is how your lungs and your heart work and whatever it is. Zoe has to do with a different kind and quality of life. Zoe is about like an elevated kind of life. The difference would be like, bios is this is how you stay alive, like your physical body. Zoe is like, yeah, but this is how you live. You know the difference between being alive and actually living, right? So in this text, when Jesus says, I've come that you may have life, he doesn't use the word bios. That would be a weird thing. I've come that your life can be physically supported and sustained because I'm here. No, Jesus says, I've come that you may have life. He uses the word zoe. I've come that you may have a particular kind and quality of life, that you may actually live. Now, this other word is the word full. In the Greek text, the word for full is the word, uh, we can pull it up here, uh, paresis. And it says, it means superabundant in quantity or superior in quality. 
exceeding, abundantly, above, more abundantly. Okay, this is, this is the word that's used for full. So do you see when, if, if maybe if we take these two words and we look at these deeper meanings behind them, and then we actually put them together in one expanded thought about what Jesus is actually saying, to me this takes on such a greater sense of meaning and depth and purpose. Think about this. Jesus is saying, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. I've come that you may have a particular kind and quality of life. And it's a quality of life that will be super abundant in quality and quantity. That it will be superior in quality. I mean, this is a pretty incredible offer, isn't it? This is, a, 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 this is like what every, everybody, at least to me, what I see, isn't this what we're pursuing we want better. We want a more full, more compelling, deeper connected, more satisfying kind of life. It's almost like he's saying, I've come so that you can experience the absolute fullness of what life is actually about. So here's my question. If this is the description of what Jesus has come to offer, is this what we see in most of the followers of Jesus. If this is a description of what Jesus says that he came to offer, is this the message that gets preached from our church pulpits? If this is the message, if this is what Jesus came to offer, does your life and your relationship to Jesus embody this, embrace this, point to this, or does it point to something else. Because if I'm honest, if we were to do like some, some word association, and I was just like, for me in my own head, if I think Christian, I'm not sure that the first thing that comes to mind is a person with a full life that I admire and I want to be like. In my own brain, when I hear the word Christian, I may think, oh, nice, uh, they, they, may be, they may be generous, they're probably a bit judgmental. They probably have a particular political stance and view. They probably, but I don't think in my own head when I think Christian, do I go, oh, there's somebody who's living a different kind of life. Here's my other question. If what Jesus, if this is what Jesus says about himself, I've come that you may have life to the fullest, that you may experience a particular kind and quality of life, and that through him, you experience this elevated kind of life, this life of abundance and superior in quality. Why do so many Christians have the thought or idea that everything that Jesus promises is about sometime later and someplace else? Because what it seems to me when, when he says this thing, I've come that you may have a particular kind and quality of life here that you may experience this elevated, abundant, in quality kind of life. That to me seems like it's, Jesus is talking about things like here and, and now and, and today. I've come so that you may experience this particular kind and quality of life now. That you may experience this elevated life, this life of superior abundance in, in, in now. You see, so our values, when we start talking about our values, the rest, of this, the rest of the series, our values are tied to this invitation of Jesus, to a fullness of life through his teachings, which is essentially this idea of, of what our mission is, is to reclaim God's intended reality. We want to step into that, and in doing so, we experience the fullness of life that we've been created to experience. 
Okay, so now, that's like the foundation for how we wrote these statements. So let me give you our first one for this week, and then we'll, each week we'll address one particular one. So here's the first statement, or we are statements. First one is we are family, and this is what, uh, how we write it. Uh, family is not perfect, but we will do our best to look out for one another. Families live together, support each other, grow together, have fun together. This is a place where we want you to experience all of these things. So what does it mean to be family? Some people, you hear the word family, and immediately you have warm, fuzzy thoughts. Oh, family, support, it's kindness, it's whatever, it's whatever. But some people hear that word, and that word is associated with hurt and pain, maybe neglect, maybe abuse, maybe abandonment type stuff. Well, I grew up in a rough house, whatever, whatever. Some people hear the word family, and immediately we think about blood relatives, right? Love them hate them, whatever, we don't get to choose them, we just have to love them, we know they're weird, but we're connected. Some, some people, they hear the word family, and it has nothing to do with a common DNA, but like common connections. A group of people who have somehow, somehow found each other, who support each other, who depend on one another, regardless of whether or not they're related. So wherever you're at with this, here, here's what we mean when we say family, we want family, we are family, we're pursuing this idea, this is something that we value, we mean that we're a group of people that have common interests and thoughts and ideas, that we want to take up for each other, that we want to look after each other, that we want to help love each other, that we show kindness and gentleness and patience towards one another. By family, we're talking about a unit, a group, a collective that you are a part of and that you belong to. Family for us has to do with belonging where we can agree and disagree about things and that you can still know no matter what that you matter and that you're valuable, that you can still belong even if we don't see eye to eye on everything. The family, you know, in the Bible is often talked about, uh, there's this idea of like the, the body. The body, there's, there's, one, there, there's, there's one body with many parts, and Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about this. Um, and I think this is, he talks about it in light of the body, but I think it's equally fitting for the idea of family as well. Watch what Paul says. So there should be no division in the body, there should be no division in the family, but what its parts, what its members should have equal concern for each other. If one part, if one member suffers, each part member suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. All right, so, so whatever you think of when you think of the term family uh, or, or body, this is the, the, the idea is the same here. The idea is there is this connection and interconnectedness. To be a part of the family is to be connected and interconnected. It's to be involved in each other's lives. If one is suffering, we're all suffering. If one is, is being honored, then we all rejoice with them. Sometimes you're going to be in need of some love and support, and we hope to help you out in those moments. And sometimes you're gonna be in a good place and somebody else is gonna be in need of some love and support and we hope that you will be the love and support in those moments. You see, family is about belonging to something larger to yourself. Family is about giving to one another and receiving from one another. It's this, like, uh, in, in the animal kingdom, in the world of, you know, like the world, and in biology, you would call this like a... Uh, symbiotic, mutualistic relationship, <laughs> right? Where both parties are benefiting. It's like this. This is, this is the crocodile and the plover. This is, a, this is an actual relationship in nature. 
that crocodile gets something to eat. It eats something delicious and raw and tasty. And then it gets all this junk stuck in its teeth, like when you eat popcorn and it's like stuck real bad and you can't get it and you have to floss. Well, here comes the plover. He comes and picks all the, all the old meat out. So the bird gets to eat from the leftovers of the teeth of the crocodile. Meanwhile, the crocodile gets really clean teeth and no infections and no like, oh, I can't get to it. He's got, he doesn't have thumbs. It's hard. So they work together. It's a mutual relationship, a symbiotic mutualism. They're both benefiting from this relationship. They support one another. They may be different. They may have different backgrounds, different, up, different upbringings, different life experiences. They have different talents, gifts. We have different talents, gifts, and abilities, but we are family. And because we are family, we want the best for everyone. So if you've got something stuck in your teeth, I'll help you get it out. And I think that's very gross. <laughs> okay, maybe I won't help you get it out. I'll at least acknowledge it and allow you to get it out. Man, you got something in the, get that out. I don't want to talk to you with that in there. So here's the deal. When we talk about all this, we talk about life to the fullest. We talk about God's intended reality. The way that we experience the fullness of God's intended reality, the way he intended us to experience it is by aligning ourselves with the nature of who God is and by aligning ourselves with how he designed it all to function. We've talked about this a lot if you've been around, if you've been through Forge. Forge. In the story of creation, we see the nature of God. We see how God designed this all to function. We see there's this divine being that, that, that steps into the scene that was written about. And then all of a sudden, this divine being, there's, there's the spirit that's hovering over the waters. And this divine being, this Elohim, this God speaks. In the beginning was the word. The word was a part of creating all things. And so at the very beginning of the story of Genesis, of the story of creation, of all things being brought into existence, you have this picture of what we might call the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. At the very beginning of the story, you have a picture of this God who is somehow one and somehow three. At the very beginning of the story, this God who is somehow three, who is somehow one, speaks, brings all things into existence. And this being, this being is a community. Three and one, one and three. God is this, what we would call, original community. God is in community with God's self, Father, Son, Spirit, all working together, pouring into one another. It's the perichoresis, it's the divine dance. Oh, by the way, God is also referred to as love. So the beginning of this whole thing, this whole Bible thing, this Genesis story, the story of creation, begins with this original community that is God, and that community is love. This is the way the whole story of everything in the Bible starts. Now, as you know, in Genesis 1.27, it says this little bit that's quite interesting. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. So in order for us to have a complete picture of who God is, you need both male and female. This is why marriage is like a cool picture of things. This is why when it comes to how we function in the church, we need both parties in order to get a more complete picture of who God is. But what you see is that when you have these, both male and female are created in the image of God. The image of God is the image of community and it's a community of love. So, so here's the question. If God is the original community, and we are created in the image of God, which is going to be more beneficial to who we are? Which is going to connect us to the fullness of life that we were created to experience? Is it going to be 
withdrawal and isolation and standoffishness? Or is it going to be connectedness and interconnectedness to others in such a way that there is a mutually beneficial relationship of giving and taking? Of sometimes I'll clean your teeth, sometimes you can clean mine. Maybe we need a better imagery for that. <laughs> we, we, need a better, we need a better analogy. Uh, so part of being a, a part of this community, a body, the family, whatever you want to call it, it's not just a place to find support and belonging. It's actually about living in a way that lines us up with how God created us to live. And when we do these things, it allows us to experience life, the kind of life that God designed us to have. In 2012, there's a documentary that came out. It was called Happy. We actually did a whole sermon series on this in 2012, so it's been a few years. Um, it was 2015, so it's been five years ago we did this. And what they did was they went all around the world, not just our they went all around the world trying to discover people, like what made people happy. So they went into all these various communities and they tried to study and they talked to sociologists and psychologists and all these really smart people. And they tried to determine like what is the recipe for happiness? What do these people have in common? What is the underlying thing that will lead to people's fulfillment and happiness in their lives? Let me show you a clip. You know, after, after all kind of is said and done, here's one of the things that they highlight out of all this exploration worldwide, here, here's one of the things the guy says that they've come to a conclusion. Take a look. We studied some of the happiest people and we found without exception that all of them had close supportive family and friends. That didn't mean that they loved everybody or you know they got along with everybody, but what it meant was every one of them had close family and friends. He says, We've studied some of the happiest people in the world, and without a doubt, what they all had was close family and friends. Without a doubt, what they all had was a community, a body of people to be engaged with, a family. It's almost like he's saying, without a doubt, when we align ourselves with how God designed us to live and function, it will lead to a particular kind and quality of life. A superior quality of life. It's weird how that works out. It's almost like if we do the thing that God intended us to do, then it will be better for us and for everybody. It's a weird concept. We should look into that a little bit more. Here's where I love this idea, the value of family. One, because I believe uh, being a part of a family aligns us with how God created us to experience life to the fullest. The second thing is this is that when we are part of a family, there's a lot that is found in being connected to a community, to a body of people that I believe are so very important. So I want to give you four things, that's two thoughts, four things, but it's only two thoughts, so hang in there, um, to what I think it means and why I think it's important that we are family. Uh, and, and as I say this, I'm fully aware that some people, um, when it comes to family, you've had a great experience, but I'm also aware that for some people, when it comes to family, you've had a not-so-great experience. And so some of the things that I'm getting ready to talk about may seem foreign or odd or off to you, right? But for us, th this is the goal. This is what I hope for. This is where we want to be, okay? So when we say we're a family, it may be foreign to you, but hopefully this, is, this will click, okay? So hopefully we'll, we'll, this is where we're heading and what we're trying to do. So for me, family is a place of acceptance and belonging. Family is a place of acceptance and belonging. I mean, I, I, when I think through my life, I think, man, I've done a lot of really dumb stuff. 
Um, I think, not, not like bad evil, right? Not, not terrible things, just dumb things. Kind of dumb things where you're like, really? Really? You know, and before I say anything else, let me just say, my younger brother was way worse <laughs> on any of this stuff. Uh, but just a lot of dumb, a lot of dumb stuff. Uh, I, when we were growing up, we had a two-story house, and, and the balcony overlooked the living room where there was a couch. And so when my parents would leave, my brother and I would jump off the balcony onto the couch. It's dumb, right? It's really dumb. You could get really, really hurt. But we would make games out of it here, catch the football as you're dropping from the second story. I don't know, just dumb, dumb stuff. And as, as an adult, and I've realized, like, wow, I would be so bothered if that was my kids, Right? And not just because they would hurt themselves, but because do you know how expensive couches are? <laughs> right? Your perspective changes once you have kids, you get older. You're like, yeah, but the couch, oh my gosh, my poor parents. They're like, no wonder we have to get a new couch every six months. What's going on? Just dumb stuff. Um, I, I, I remember we played soccer in the house, played sports in the house growing up because we had a big open living uh, area, and it was just fantastic. We'd play all kinds of games, and we broke all kinds of stuff. We broke windows, and we broke mirrors, and we broke pictures, and my mom always told us, don't play in the house. And one time we were playing in the house, and my dad had this, he had like one of the old school sound systems, like with, you know, it was like huge with the record player and the double tape deck and then the speakers that were this huge, you know. And, um, and we kicked the ball when we weren't supposed to, and it knocked the speakers out of the window, and the whole thing broke, and it was bad news. I was thinking about that story today, and I was like, you know what, I, took a, I felt really bad about that, but as I look back, what was my dad doing with the speakers in the window? I think he needs to own up for a little bit of that as well. I don't think it was entirely my fault on that one, but... I've done a lot of dumb stuff, like arguing with my mom to the point of making her cry. I remember that was a, that was a tough one, I, and I just remember the guilt, seeing my mom, like, be a human. You're like, oh, moms don't have feelings. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah. I've done a lot of dumb stuff, like dating a girl that was an FSU fan. <laughs> I've done a lot of dumb stuff, like I've gotten, like, getting kicked out of college. I've done a lot of dumb stuff. One time in high school, one time in high school, um, I was helping out with our church's VBS program, you know, because that's, that's what good church pastor's son does, right? He goes to Bible college, he helps with his youth group, whatever. So I was helping with our church VBS, and because I'm like a little bit artsy, um, I got put on craft duty. And so one of the crafts one night was tie-dye. So I was helping all these kids to tie-dye, like their shirts and stuff, and hooray, VBS. And so at the end of the night, I had to dispose of this giant bucket of tie-dye, and I thought, well, we might as well get some extra use out of it. I wonder if it will dye my hair. It's blue. Let's dye my hair blue. And so the youth minister said, Seth, that's a bad idea. He said, you better ask your dad. Because he didn't want to you know, tell me no. So, so he, I go, and Dad, hey, listen, there's a bunch of tie-dye. We were just doing this, the tie-dye shirts, and can I just dunk my head in it, see if it turned my head blue? And my dad said, yeah, man, get crazy. <laughs> like, what? What? Like, that's the response to a teenage kid looking to dunk his head into a vat of tie-dye? Like, yeah, man, get crazy. <laughs> like, the more I think about it, maybe I, my dad is a, at fault in a lot of these. <laughs> maybe I'm not as dumb as I thought. No, you know, but here's the thing. <coughs> no matter what I did, no matter what I said, no matter how ridiculous the thing was, no matter how much we fought, no matter how much we laughed, no matter how much my parents agreed or disagreed, no matter how much my parents were proud or disappointed, 
There is never a time that I ever questioned, am I accepted and do I belong here? There was never a time I questioned, do my parents love me? Even, even when I got kicked out of college, I had to call my dad. Hey, dad. Hey, bud, what's going on? Whoa, I'm in some trouble. What happened? I told him. And he said, I'll never forget, he said, that was dumb. I said, yeah. He said, but I love you. And we'll get through this together. I mean, that was a, that was a low point. That was a low point for me. And my dad's words were, that was dumb. But I love you. And we'll get through it together. You see, to me, family is a place where you're accepted and, and where you belong. Where you have a sense of belonging no matter what. So for us at Foundry, we are family at least we're trying to be. Nobody's perfect. But that's our goal. That's what we want. We want to create a place where no matter who you are, where you're coming from, what your background, where you're at, that this is a place that you feel accepted and that you belong. And if you have people, friends, families that you know of, maybe they don't give two cares for church. We want you to know that this is a safe place to bring them where they can feel accepted, where they can feel like they belong. Here's my second thought. <clears throat> Families are a place to love and to be loved. Families are a place to love and to be loved. Love is a two-way street. We have been created in this way, that there is this deep desire within us to be loved, we need that, but also there is this deep desire within us to love others, right? Love is something that we not only need, it's something that we also need to give. Um, for me, 7.20 p.m. is one of my favorite times of the day. 7.20 p.m. is one of my favorite times of the day. Here's why. My kids go to bed at 7.30. <laughs> That's not the main reason. My kids, by the way, here's a little parenting tip. If you, got, if you got kids, here's the easy thing to do. We have an Alexa at our house. We, set, we have two timers on our house on Alexa that go off every day. One's like in the afternoon for homework, and one's at 7.30 for the kids to go to bed. And so Alexa becomes the heavy at our house, and she's the bad guy. So no matter what we're doing, Alexa goes off at 7.30, and the kids go, oh, we want to go to bed. And I'm like, I would love to help you, but Alexa went off. <laughs> or sometimes I'll say, okay. I'll give you two more minutes. We'll not worry about Alexa tonight, right? So then I'm the good guy. But anyways, easy parenting tip. Let Alexa do the, do the hard thing. So anyways, uh, 7.20 for us, it, it's my favorite part of the day. By 7.20, on most nights, most nights, not every night, we've eaten dinner. We've gotten our homework done. We've got the house moderately picked up. We've taken baths. We've brushed teeth. We've gotten on jammies, and we're either going to be reading a book or watching just a few minutes of a movie. Now, for us at our house, when we watch a movie, <clears throat> it actually takes us like three or four days because we only watch it in a few minutes at a time. But by 7.20, we're all basically settled. We're sitting on the couch. I'll have at least one, maybe two kids. If Jess is at work, I might even get all three kids. 
If Jess is at home, I'm lucky if I get one. But we get to sit on the couch together and just be. And this is one of my favorite times. We talk, we giggle at the movie, we laugh, we sit, we put a blanket on our toes to keep them warm. Elias has to drink milk because he likes milk before bed. We sit and I just hold them and I hug them and I squeeze them and I have the opportunity to give love to them and in doing so they come and they snuggle and they give love back to me. And in that moment, I feel so very full I feel as though I have a kind of an elevated, superior quality of life in that moment when I am both giving love and receiving love. To me, this is what family is supposed to be. This is what family is about. 720 for my family is one of my favorite parts of the day. My wife started this new thing at her house. <clears throat> you may have heard this idea. It's not a new idea, but it's new to us. The special plate. Anybody do that with their kids? Each night, somebody gets this special plate. Ours is a pineapple with sunglasses because it's awesome. Because <laughs> how could you not feel special eating off of this plate? So each night, somebody else gets this plate. It gets passed around every night to one of the family members. Then whoever has the plate, the rest of the family has to say something nice or kind or special about them. We just started doing this. It's been great. And so, you know, the first night Elias gets it. And so Ella and Ezra say things like, Elias, you just make us laugh. You're so funny, you know. Gets to Ezra. Ezra, you're kind and caring. And it's just awesome to see. You can see them fill up. You can see their little faces. Just like, it's like they're, they're just being poured upon. This, this, there's something in those words of affirmation that fills up their spirit. And you, you can just see it happen. And it's this beautiful thing. When their brother or sister says something kind to them about what they like about them, how they've, it's a beautiful thing. When their mom and dad begins to tell them, man, I love how creative you are. You can see it. So the other day I came home from work and I, for whatever reason, I was a little bit low and, um, and I came home and it was my turn to get the plate because mom and dad need the plate too sometimes. And so I had the plate and all the kids started to go around and say nice things. And it just wasn't anything extraordinary, right? But it was at that moment, at that time, and that lowness that just the kind words of saying, Dad, we, we think you're the best dad in the whole world. And I'm like, obviously I'm the best dad in the whole world. <laughs> right? Like, that's how it goes. Like, those words in that moment meant the world to me. What's great about the plate, when we sit down for dinner and we share the plate and we share these kind words and we words of aff affirm each other and who we are in our family and who we are as human beings is that we are both loved. I got to experience love that night as I ate from the plate. And then the next nights I get to give love. When we come to the table as a family, when we sit, we eat, it's a time to give and receive love. To me, that's what family is all about. Family is a place 
where you are accepted and where you can belong. Family is a place where you can love and be loved. And ultimately, when we participate in family, we are lining ourselves up with the way that God, who is the original community, whose image that we have been created in, has designed us to live and function so that we may experience the kind of life that he desires for you. The kind of life that Jesus says, life to the fullest, an elevated, a particular kind and quality of life, not just being alive, but actually living.